Good morning. I'm not James. <laughs> they asked me to fill in. I'm here. Um, happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day. I forgot that first service. Happy, well, to lead with it anyway. Very grateful to be here. Anyway, uh, let's open with a short prayer here. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to come and, and look into your word, to encounter you, to... We need you, Lord. We want to be touched by you and changed by you. Make us, Lord, the men and women, the children of God that you've called us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to be in Luke chapter 15. I'm going to... I have the ESV version. I'm going to read through the whole chapter, spend a little time in the first couple verses giving the context for why the parables were said, and then uh, I'm going to kind of camp out. I'm going to spend more time in the, the parable of the prodigal son, but we're going to start in verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on its shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost." Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants." And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. and Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, 
and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry, refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him? And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Um, before I take a look at verse 1 and 2, I just a little context personally why this scripture means a lot to me is um, a little testimony. I, I was raised in church. I was... I was presented with the gospel. I, I had an intellectual knowledge that Jesus was God and he died uh, for my sins. Um, I, I said the sinner's prayer as a kid. I don't even know how many times. Um, but then as a young adult, I was extremely rebellious. I was a wandering sheep, a prodigal. I ended up in my, I don't know, early, mid-20s. Um, what I would say, really having an encounter with God where I would consider myself, I was saved, I was a Christian, and then I, I went to a foreign land and fed pigs. I mean, I was a dope fiend, prodigal, backslidden, wandered sheep, um, but God was faithful. He sent shepherds. They all had guns and badges, and they... <laughs> and they <laughs> One other, one other little note here. Yeah, I'm going to say that. I didn't say this first service. To describe me when I was on drugs would be, a one-word description would be arrogant, very arrogant, very full of pride. And when I was arrested, I'll never forget this. Tom Bergen said, I see your shoes out here, Jeff. Get out here. Um, the proud, arrogant person that I was was hiding in a closet underneath clothes, thinking, one thought through my head. It wasn't, oh, I'm not going to get to see my son, my little baby tomorrow. I'm not going to get to be, you know, the man that God's called me to be. To no, one thought going through my head. I'm not going to get to get high tomorrow. I was about to be separated by these gun-toting, badge-wearing shepherds from my drugs. And it was a real life-altering moment for me because I never saw myself as the junkie that I was strung out, covered in pig slop, as you would say, in a foreign land, just, just lost. But God got me out of there, took me to a safe place. It's called jail. <laughs> <laughs> a couple days in, the head started to clear. I mean, it took a lot longer than that, but a couple days in, and I, and I would say I had a moment, a moment of, of, I was presented with this huge black hole right here, I would call it in my soul, that I had been filling with drugs and the lifestyle, the sin, the crime. I was filling it, and I was separated from the drugs and all the vices that I was so addicted to, and I was an empty shell. And so I cried out to God, laying there on my bunk. And God mercifully, graciously met me. And that was 21 years ago, October, by his grace. And I mean by his grace. Every day is a gift. I walk through this life knowing that I'm one bad decision away from being the village idiot. Um, 
I'm just, I'm just extremely thankful. And that, that just a little backstory that this scripture is just extremely personal to me. I'm, I'm so thankful for it. So <laughs> let me give a little context here why Jesus said these parables. It says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. The word were all sounds like it was a pretty good crowd. And as we know through the New Testament, scribes and Pharisees are very envious of Jesus and the ministry that he had. Um, and there's another, Matthew eleven nineteen refers to Jesus as a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Um, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. The word receives there isn't in a casual sense of he just tolerates them or he bumps into them. It's, it has a very intimate meaning to it uh, in the Hebrew um, or Greek. And he eats with them. In that culture, eating with people, it's not like, it's not like us today. We don't put the same emphasis on eating with people. Um, but it was a very intimate thing, and it offended the Pharisees and scribes. They were grumbling. They were complaining. And that is why, so he told them this parable. And then verse 4 is, What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends, his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. In each of the parables, the sheep, the coin, and the son, the word lost is used. That word lost isn't like I misplaced my keys and it's just right around here somewhere. No, the meaning of that word is die. It's death. Sheep, coin, the son were dead to whoever had the relationship with it. So it was going to take a miracle to find it. And I like how the shepherd, the, the determination, go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he's found it, it's not if he finds it. Because the first parable, there's 100 sheep, then there's 10 coins, and then there's two sons. It's almost like the Lord is just focusing. He cares about the crowd. He cares smaller little home group, whatever you want to say, 10 people. And then the two, he just, it's such a personal relationship our father has with us. Um, and I question, why, why the parable of the lost coin in there? What, what is, and I, first let me read it. Or what woman having 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. I, when I read this, I think it's something of value. The sheep had the value to the shepherd, the coin, the value to the woman who owned it, and then the son, the value to the father. I mean, all of these parables are about relationship. Because I'm sure at the time that he said this, there's you know, millions of sheep, but it's those sheep of his flock. I mean, there's lots of coins, but it's those. It's If we belong to the family of God, the love that he has for us is just intense. It's so God's grace, his love. And that's, if you guys, I mean, my main point of this teaching 
and subpoint too. I'm going to combine points. Main point, subpoint is that God loves you. God loves you. He died for you. How do I know God loves me? Well, he became a man, Jesus Christ. He took substitutionary, he did it, died substitutionary death on the cross. He took our sins and he died. And now we believe in him, faith alone in Christ, by grace. We have eternal life. We have restoration, right standing with God. That, 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 is, that is how we know that God loves us. And now I'm going to, this last parable, I'm going to read here, the, the parable of the prodigal son. And he said there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. So the prodigal son, he knew who he was relationally to his father. He came to him, and he, he, that was his attitude, give me. And I'm pretty sure he's asking for property that's not supposed to be his until his father dies. Um, but so basically is what I hear him saying is, Father, you're dead to me. You're dead to me. I want what's mine. I know what's best for me. I've got this. Give me my property, and then I'm going to go off into a foreign land and do my own thing. I don't need you. And that's what he does. The father doesn't say a word to him. He doesn't say, son, that's kind of a, that's a bad decision. He allows him. Okay, a little side note. That is a serious gut check for the word of faith movement, for the blab it and grab it. Because there's a good possibility. We can come to God as our father and demand, give me what I want. But in the end, we're in a foreign land in the middle of a famine. So it's not always a good idea to ask God for what we want, to demand it. Because he, in, in this story, he gave it to him. And when he had spent everything, this he squandered his property in reckless living, verse 14, and when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. I mean, that's a little statement that if you go off, if I go off into the world, the world's a very cruel place. <laughs> they're trying, he's like, won't someone give me some pig food? And they're like, they had nothing for him. They had nothing for him. And that is, the world is a very cruel place. But when he came to himself, he said, how many servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. Sometimes being a Christian, I, I, I see people coming back, what I would consider, you know, they've, they've strayed away, they're coming back to the Lord, or, or they're, I'm just seeing them in church, uh, or, or in maybe a home group, or in some context, and I'm like, you know, trying to be discerning, you know, what are your motives you know, are you, do you have pure motives? Do you, are you coming back? Are you, are you in this place because you love God? You know, you love Jesus. You're just, you've encountered him and you love it. Uh, right here, it's clear. He was dying. The prodigal was coming back, not because he missed his older brother, the big brother who's doing everything right. He didn't like, man, my brother, he's been there. He's, he's serving our father. I'm going to go back. I'm going to humble myself before him. I'm going to humble myself before um, my father, because I love him. It had nothing to do with love. It had to do with life. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the father except through me. Jesus is life out there. I mean, that's the valley of the shadow of death. I mean, the drug addiction, addi 
Forget addiction. It's just life apart from Christ. We're dead. We are dead people. So people come to God, not because they have some pure, great motive, because they love God. There's only one hero in this story, and that's God and his love for man. That's what's drawing this, this prodigal, rebellious son back. He's dead. He knows there's only one place where there's life, and that's with my father. And I kind of interchange father and Jesus. Because, I know it gives you... The disciples said, Jesus, show us the father, and that'll be enough for us. And his response was, haven't you been with me this long? Don't you know that if you've seen me, you've seen the Father? Jesus is the exact representation of the Father. So if I talk about Jesus, Father, um, it's because they are one. They are one. Um, So verse 18, I will arise and go to my Father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. I like the King James translation of the rest of this verse as make me, make me as one of your hired servants. Verse 20, and he arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off. I don't know how far that is, but it sounds like a really long ways. So a long ways off, his father sees him. So he's actively looking. Our father is actively looking for us to have a change of heart. He already knew that his son had had a change of heart. He sees him a long way off, and then he, he feels compassion. But he just, just doesn't feel compassion. He's moved with compassion. This is a little side note on that. I can be driving down the road, and I can see somebody having hard times, maybe a homeless person. He's laying there. Sometimes I see him. I'm not always looking. I'm doing my own thing. I'm working. I'm paying attention to my things. But sometimes I see him. And sometimes I have this feeling of compassion. And I feel really good about that. I'll pat myself on the back. So spiritual. You just had a feeling for somebody. You don't know that guy. He's, having, he's just down, and I'll, and I'll feel good about it. That's so disgusting on my part. God sees, feels compassion, and it moves him to actually do something other than have a warm, fuzzy feeling and feeling good about it. He runs. And in this culture, I think... That's humbling. Here's his son, rebelled, asked for his property. Dad, you're dead to me. Give me my stuff. He's coming back, maybe covered in pig slop. I don't know. He's coming back. He's had a change of heart. And his father sees him, and he, he's moved with compassion, and he runs to him. And then he embraces him and kisses him. I'm going to call that the embrace of God's grace because that son didn't earn it. He can't pay it back. He doesn't deserve it. And he did all of that. He saw him. He had the compassion. He ran. He embraced him and he kissed him before his son ever made a confession of any sin. So the misconception that I need to confess all of this sin so God embraces me. I need to, I need to man, I need to just do everything. I need to have this performance correct so that God will love me. His son was so far out of the best for his life, according to the father's will for him. He'd taken his possessions. He went to a foreign land. He was beat up, destitute. He was near death. That's why he came back to his father. He's a basically a practically dead man. Well, he was dead. He was separated from his father. And he, all that love, the affection from God. And I can be guilty of, 
withholding, I have kids and studying through this has been so convicting because there's been opportunities where I've wanted to like maybe kind of lay down some law with my kids and I'm like, oh, I got this teaching coming up, I'll wait till after it's done, then I'll deal with that, you know, that way I can, I can have a, <laughs> I can feel good about this, yes, yeah, I'm working, this is practically working out in my life, no. God gave the affection and the kiss to his son before any confession was made. We don't earn God's love. We don't, we don't earn it. We don't deserve it. And then it's when God, it's, according to this story, he, he, he kissed his son. I mean, is he still kissing him? Is he right here as the son's making confession? Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. So he confesses his sin. The father does not. I want it itemized. I can see you don't have the stuff that you left with. Where is it? I want to know what happened. I want the details. I want to pile some shame on. I think the son came back with plenty of shame. I think the shame broke him. He was so ashamed. He humbled himself. God doesn't do that. He receives. Oh, here, here's another A note is the, the beginning of this, the tax collectors and sinners were gathering around Jesus to hear him. Now, here's the father all of this action, the emotion, the compassion, the hug, the kiss, he doesn't say anything to his prodigal son. He listens to him. He's a God who listens, and I need that so much in my life because with my kids, I'm way smarter. All the life's experience that I've got, I just want to let them know this is, listen, listen. Our, is, God is a father who listens to us even when we're just gutter trash. I mean, we're, we're back he listens to us, and he heard him. He confessed, and then before he can even say, make me like one of your hired servants, the father still doesn't talk to his son, says to his servants, quickly, get the best robe and put it on him. Get a ring, put it on his finger. Get, the sh get shoes, put it on his feet. He does not say, get a robe. He doesn't say, Get a robe, get even the best robe, and now put it over there, and now work your way to it. You have failed so bad, so miserably. You need to show me by your behavior. You know, you need to show me with your service that you're serious. And work your way to that robe. And then once you get the robe, you know, we'll, we'll talk about a ring. When I see this, I'm thinking, this son squandered the possessions of his father. What does he do? He... He gives the best robe to him. He gives a ring on his finger. That's just extravagant love. That's generosity. Like, we don't get that. This is not earthly love. This is the kind of love that only comes from our heavenly father. And that's why when I say God loves you and he's not frustrated, I'm thinking of that verse. God's not frustrated. He's not frustrated with him. I can't believe you and then fill in the blank. There's no I can't believe. He accepts and receives his prodigal son with, with affection, with listening. That's mind-blowing, too, that he listens to him. He, he receives the confession of sin that he says. He accepts his humble state. And then he cuts him off. It's like, no, 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 no. I'm not going to say, I'm not going to hear you say, make me like one of my hired you know, servants. That's not going to happen. You're, you're, I'm going to robe you. A little side note, my wife and I discovered this show, Downton Abbey, a while back. And it's kind of, 
There's a little bit, you know, English royalty, and they call the head guy, your lordship. Anyway, there's an actual servant whose job is to robe. A grown man. That's just crazy. Crazy. I mean, he, he robes him. I'm like, who does that? Here's God in this parable commanding his servants to put the robe on the son. He doesn't have to. Do, he's treating him like royalty because he is. He's the king. He's the father's son. It's just the grace of God is just breathtaking. Okay. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. Verse 23, bring the fat. If that's not enough, then he's going to have a barbecue. Bring the fat and calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate. I'm like, that, that's, he doesn't get him back and robe him and ring him and shoe him. And okay, now get to work. I want service out of you. You need to be, big brother's been out working diligently. You need to get in line. You need to do what's right. No, he's like, let's celebrate. My son was dead and now he's alive. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said, your brother has come and your father has killed a fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. He didn't, I, I just noticed this earlier. The servant, he didn't even tell him, oh yeah, by the way, and your dad, he put the best robe on him and a ring on his finger. I mean, I think the big brother would have, his head would have blown up because he's, he's angry just about the barbecue. But he, okay, but he was angry and refused to go and his father came out. Now this son, the father talks to. He's never said, he hasn't said a word. It's been all action with the younger son, whether it be giving him his property or coming and, and listening to him, make confession of his sin and humbling himself. But here with the older son, he comes out and he entreats him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed a fattened calf for him? And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. In verse 29, he answers his father, Look. He doesn't even, he doesn't even address him as his father. He's like, Look. Attention on me. Look at the service I've done. Many years. I've been serving you. You've never even given me a young goat. He's bitter. He's resentful. Look at what I've been doing, the service that I've been doing. And you go and you are going to celebrate my younger brother who squandered all your possessions with reckless living. This is, I, I kind of see the big brother's point. Because in my eyes, the older brother, he's doing what's right evidently with completely the wrong motives, trying to earn what's already his, because the father said, everything I have is yours. And I can find myself doing that too, so subtly or not so subtly. You know, I can, I can do spiritual things. We're in church. Go to church. It's like, I'm going to have a blessed day now because I've done some religious duty. Or maybe I have devotions in the morning, have some, you know, formula that I go through religiously that I believe entitles me 
to something of my father, some affection, some blessing from him. And the fact is that everything, everything that belongs to the father is already ours. It's already yours. We don't have to work to earn his love, his affection, his blessings. It's all ours. In Christ Jesus, all spiritual blessings are ours. It's in Christ. And then the older brother, too, in this dialogue he's having with the father, he says, that son of yours squandered the money, distancing himself from his brother. But then the father, it's all about relationship. What does he say to, to the older brother? He says, son, son, which obviously means that's my son, too, your brother's. He sets that right. Your brothers. And your brother was dead and now he's alive. And I just, I want to be those, I pray that we're those who celebrate when prodigals return, that we love our brothers and sisters, whether or not, there's a spectrum here. There's a total rebellious, absolute rebellious younger brother in a foreign country. Then you've got somebody by all appearances is close to God. He says he's out in the field and he's coming to the father's house, but he's a absolute legalist, sin-sniffing, resentful, doesn't like little brother at all. Little brother, like James says, people are messy. And if we can just do our religious thing and not have a bunch of messy people coming in and screwing things up, I mean, it's so much cleaner that way. You know, people, yeah, it's very messy. Um, so there's, in this parable, there's three ways, three ways that people come to God. The prodigal son came originally, give me. And then the older brother came to God, look, look at me, look at what I'm doing, the sacrifices I make, you know, eyes on me, God. I am the hero of this story. And then there's the prodigal returning in humility, and he says, Father, Make me. Father, make me into the child, the son, the daughter of God that you've called me to be. And I pray that that's, that's our heart, that we would come to God correctly, that we would understand that we are sons and daughters of the king, the king of kings and lord of lords. He, he loves us. We're his kids. And we're to be identified. We're to be known by our love for one another. And that's not... That not the, the, Try harder to do better, to love more. That's, that's not what we're, where we're going here. Um, Romans chapter 5, verse 5, it talks about God's love being poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. That is ultimately what we need. We need to surrender to God and receive his Holy Spirit, be filled with his love. I mean, isn't that, doesn't that sum up the law and the prophets is Love God and love man. Here's another thing to look at, too, is, well, I can personalize it. I didn't just wander off once. I wasn't, in these parables, you think, wow, the sheep wanders off, he comes back, or prodigal, he's back, he's in the family, all good. No, no. I, I, I was like idiot at the next level, I've wandered off many times, many times. And then at what point do you say enough's enough? 
I mean, didn't you like come back last year? Didn't we have like a barbecue for you? What did you do with the new robe? Did you hawk your ring? You, you snorted your ring. You idiot. That's the story of my life, is squandering my life on bad decisions. God's grace doesn't run out. His love it, is not frustrated with us. It's not like, that stupid sheep, if you run, there's, there's, at no point in here is God shaming his children. Or, and here, here's a huge point in, this, in these stories. At no point are either of the sons referred to as not a son. There's no, I've walked away from my salvation. I'm no longer in the family of God. Really? Here's a son, complete rebellion, rebellion in a foreign land. He's still identified as a son. Here's a legalist. Here's a legalist, sin-sniffing, resentful, bitter legalist. He's identified as a son. I need to be careful if I'm trying to have a, are you really a save detector going off with people? Because we don't know where people are at. We see behavior. We see, I judge myself by my intentions, but I'm judging you by what I see your actions are, which is completely wrong. I don't know what's in people's hearts. I don't know. Weeds and wheat grow up together. I'm not making an argument for, for sweeping sin under the rug, for, for compromising with sin. I'm making an argument that God's family is diverse, messy, and we've got brothers and sisters that we need to be filled with God's love by his spirit that are not doing good. And then we have others that by all accounts are doing very good. We need to give grace. I love to receive grace. Lord, help me to give it. Um, now, how much better, how much better would this story be, little alternate ending, if the older brother, he's out in the field and he's, he's working, but he's working with the right motives. He's not working for what's already his. He's doing it because he's encountered the love that his father has for him. He's so thankful for his father's love. And, and he's, he's, he's in line. He wants to do what he sees his father doing. And he's in the field and he looks up because he's looking too. That's what his father's doing. And he sees the prodigal coming. And he's like, father, father, I, I see my brother coming. And his father's like, I see him too. And the older brother, hey, can I go with you? Can I be a part of this restoration? Can I go? He's like, come on, let's go. And to celebrate the return of prodigals, to celebrate the father's generosity and the love, and not to have the envy between each other, but to, to really, truly surrender to the love of God, be filled with his spirit, and be identified that we would be a people, a church, surrendered to God and known by our love for one another. Because I just, I want to end this on God loves you. He's not frustrated. He's not, he's not at, his, at, at the end of himself. He just has nothing but patience and just, we should pray. Lord Jesus, I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful for the opportunity to point to you, to, to look at this scripture. Uh, and Lord, I, I do. I pray that your Holy Spirit would come, fill our hearts, draw us to you, that we would encounter you, that we would humble ourselves before you, and that we would receive what it is you to have us receive from this word. In Jesus' name.